This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. The busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom podcaster in this podcasting game. I am a little bummed today. Uh, at the time I'm recording this, this is Saturday, May 2nd. And what I was supposed to be doing today was speaking at the Mixed Race Heritage Conference at UCLA on a topic that is pretty important to me art as activism. Uh, as you heard a couple weeks ago, we we spoke with Dakota from UCLA's Mixed Race Student Union, and I really wanted to be a part of this event, um, but unfortunately due to coronavirus, you know, everything shut down, I didn't get a chance to do it. Uh, it's also, it was going to be a really busy day because it's also Free Comic Book Day, which is like an international I don't want to say holiday. I don't know what to call it. It's an international day that comic book stores around the world give out free comics. Um, Different authors and distributors put together books specifically for this day. In terms of nerddom, it's a it's a pretty fun day to to kind of go out to all the different comic book stores in your area and pick up new books and things like that. Get exposed to comics if you haven't been before, things like that. And since I work at Pulp Fiction Comics here in Culver City, California. I was going to be starting my day at Pulp Fiction and ending my day at the conference speaking. But since uh, and it was going to be very stressful because I wanted to be able to devote full energy to both of those events. But they both happened to fall on the same day. And, you know, I was going to make it work. I don't have to make it work now. So I'm bummed, though. I'm really, really bummed. I was really excited about what 2020 was going to bring in terms of speaking engagements and, and different opportunities. And to have them kind of dip away one by one <laughs> was uh, was sad. I still do have two more events on the docket that haven't been canceled yet that I, you know, depending on what the world is like by late July and August, will determine whether or not I will be going. I will be a panelist at the Blurred Con in D.C., which is going to be my very first Blurred Con, which I'm really excited about. I've been wanting to go to the, the con in D.C. for a couple of years now. But I have a panel that was selected for that event, and they haven't canceled it yet because they're anticipating things going back to, I guess, I don't want to say normal, but going opening up, I guess, by then. If I feel that it is safe enough to travel by then, um, I will be doing that event with my co-host from Blurred Comics, Blurred Vision, and a couple of fellow podcasters. Hopefully, it's safe enough to travel at that time, but if it's not, hopefully they do a virtual conference, I guess, for that con. But yeah, so today's kind of bummy because, man, I really wanted to do that Mixed Race Heritage Conference at UCLA. But next year, I, I've already told them if they, if, they, if they want me next year, they got me next year. So I'll make sure that it's a priority to be able to do. But yeah, so whatever. Bummy, I guess, that that, that happened. So last week I had made a statement about kind of feeling weird or gross about continuing to promote the Patreon and the PayPal during this time because, you know, I know it's a tough time for a lot of people. Not everybody are able to work or, you know, the future is really <laughs> unsure right now. So I kind of felt weird about it. And my my whole thing was that, you know, for now I'm still making enough money to be able to produce the show. But if things got desperate, you know, I would reevaluate and at that time. But I would do my best to continue doing the show regardless of whether or not people continue to support the show financially or not, given this pandemic. And I got a couple messages about it. Um, one in particular, I think they'll know who they are when they hear me describe it, basically said, like, people want to donate if they want to donate. Like, you know, you're not begging people. You're not telling people they have to. You're just putting it out there that if they can and they want to, 
here's how to access it. And if they don't want to and they can't, they just won't. Um, and you don't have to feel gross about it, you know, to do it. I had another person who said that they really just want to support this thing that gives them something to look forward to every week. And even if, you know, it might not be that much, just being able to do a little bit at a time makes them feel good. So message received. And this is actually something that I had heard last year when I was feeling gross about promoting the the Patreon. And that was just because I'm like Japanese and I'm filled with guilt when anybody gives me something. And they were telling me like, if you need money to have the show survive, tell your audience if they care, they'll support if they can, you know. And so I took that to heart last year and I started promoting the Patreon. And it, you know, it worked. Y'all came through for me in a big way. I've been able to continue to do all this stuff. I was able to replace my laptop. You know, so many things I've been able to do because of the financial support. So message received. I understand that I'm not telling everybody this show's going to go away if you don't support me. What I'm saying is I do need y'all support to keep the show going. And right now I'm lucky enough to get it enough support to keep the show going. So if you can and you want to, I can tell you the two ways that you can donate to the show. And if you can't or you don't want to, but you just listen to it, the other ways to support the show are leaving reviews on whatever podcatcher you listen to it on, sharing episodes with your friends, retweeting, regramming, Facebooking the shares. Like there are a bunch of different ways to support the show and not all of them are financial. But if you do want to support the show financially, you can go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed and sponsor as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish. And there are different reward levels depending on what level you sponsor at. And I'm happy to report that in the last week and a half to two weeks, we received two new sponsors of the show, Andreas, which I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, Andreas or Andreas, and Silice or Silas. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. I only have the word written out to go off of, but thank you both for stepping up and, and adding to the Patreon. I really appreciate you, and I hope I get a chance to connect with you both soon. And also, um, shout out to Megan, one of our regular sponsors who has increased their sponsorship during the month of April. So shout out to y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for helping to keep the show going. It, um, we did get some loss over the last couple of months, which totally makes sense to me. And I was expecting it. And I'm telling people, you know, if you, if you need to pull out, pull out, don't feel guilty about it. You've been supporting me for as long as you have. And, um, if this time is tough for you to do that. It makes total sense to pull out. If you don't want to support on a monthly basis, but you do want to drop some coins in, I guess, the tip jar, you can go to paypal.me slash militantly mixed. And um, all of those, both of those ways go directly into the militantly mixed bank account or the main hustle media bank account. Uh, so it all goes back into the show. And of course, we still have the stores open if you want to go to Etsy or Teespring. And search for the Militantly Mixed stores. That's where you can get the t-shirts, the tote bags, the mugs, the stickers, the enamel pins, etc. And all of those links are always in the show notes, including the Patreon and the PayPal, if you want to get linked directly to those things. All right, enough of the business stuff. A couple of things that I wanted to talk about today. Some of them really don't have much to do with um, mixedness in general, but just happy news in the time of COVID, I guess is the way I want to say it. I didn't talk about it last week because I was, you know, kind of bummed out and a few other things happened that uh, that changed. So I just kind of scrapped my whole intro and recorded something new. But this week, I'm going to go back and, and talk about it. So not this last week, but the week before my very close family friend. I mean, we've known each other since fourth grade we're family. Their parents are my parents or they're my other parents, you know, things like that. Everybody's brothers, sister, niece, nephews, cousins. They had a very significant thing happen to them two weeks ago. Uh, my play nephew, Austin Jackson, was drafted into the NFL on the first draft, first round draft, 18th pick for the Miami Dolphins offensive tackle. As if that news wasn't big enough as it is on its own, that's, you know, somebody you know grew up and trained really hard to be able to perform at such a high level that they got drafted into the NFL. About a year prior to this, Austin had donated his bone marrow to save his sister Autumn's life. Uh, she was born with a rare blood disorder, which I've talked about on the show before. It's called diamond black fan anemia. And basically she's received blood transfusions 
every month of her life since she was born. She's basically been knocking at death's door the entire time she's been alive. And uh, last year, she graduated high school. She's 18 years old. And they went into a procedure in which Austin donated his bone marrow to her to save her life. Luckily, he was a 100% match uh, for the 12 different markers that they look for to see if someone might be compatible. They, They were 12 for 12. And despite the fact that he was about to enter into his sec- his third season at USC in football, he did the surgery. He took about 54 days of recovery time and physical therapy to get back into training at USC. All the while, his sister was recovering from a surgery that c- it could have killed her. I mean, the de- disease itself could have killed her, but the the transplant could have also. Um, but it was a risk they were willing to take in an attempt to save her life. And so far, it's been about eight, nine months. It's been successful. She is, um, Autumn's producing her own red blood cells now. And even though her blood comes out like it's his, it's it's registering as his blood because it was his bone marrow that was donated, it's it's working. So far, it's working. She was even able to leave the hospital a month earlier than planned. And she's in recovery. It takes about a year or so for them to consider someone fully recovered, so we're not quite there yet, but I mean, this family has had just the most insane year, from Autumn hitting a milestone such as getting 18 and graduating high school, given the fact that she was basically expected to die at any time, to also being able to get the surgery, for Austin being a match, for taking, for both of them to survive. For him to continue to be able to train and perform at such a high level that he was drafted into the NFL, like it's been a huge year. And even from the outside, as sort of like a peripheral friend of the family, family member, I mean, I'm I'm very taken and moved by what they've been through, um, and I've only gotten to see it, you know, firsthand here and there throughout throughout their years. So. It's a big deal, and I, I, I just want to, I just want to talk about it. I don't know. I just want to share something like that because it's such a wonderful thing to happen in a time that is so scary, where future is so up in the air. And for the first time in Autumn's life, she legitimately gets to plan her future. And Austin is about to start his future in the NFL. So. <laughs> Um, so it's just a big deal and I want, I wanted to, um, to share it, even though it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with militantly mix itself. It's just, um, it's something, it's some happy news I'm clinging to right now, given how crazy life is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I I got more I can talk about, but I'm already hitting the 14 minute mark. So I'm going to go ahead and switch on over to this week's episode. Uh, but before I do that, just a reminder, we are doing weekly virtual hangouts, social distancing, virtual hangouts for militantly mixed listeners. It's been awesome. I just love getting to do this every week and I'm looking forward to tomorrow's session. So if you want to participate, you just go tomorrow by the time I'm recording. I'm recording on Saturday, but it's not tomorrow at the time you're listening to this. We do it every Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. GMT, UK time, and 8 p.m. East African time. So that's like a broad window to try to get everybody so far, I haven't been contacted from other time zones to say that they want to participate either, but that's kind of the best time that kind of squeezes everybody in. If I need to make adjustments, I can. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash militantly mixed and look in the events and you can click the link to get into the event that way. Or you can send me an email at charmaine at militantly That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E at militantlymix.com and just let me know that you're not on Facebook, but you want to participate in the group and I'll send you the link that way. You can also slide into the DMs on Twitter and Instagram and um, we can go ahead and do it that way. It is a really great support system, one that I didn't even realize how much positiveness it was going to add to my own life uh, producing the show, but we get to commiserate, we get to meet like, oh my gosh, I happened to meet too kind of moments. We get to ask questions of like, does this happen to you? And somebody else in the group inevitably will say, yeah, I've, I've been through the same thing. We've covered issues of parenting while mixed and, and sort of like uh, claiming your identity while mixed. Like there's so many topics that we all could really use having conversations with more than one person about 
And this is a group setting and it's awesome. And we're starting to get to know each other too. So if you are able to participate, even if you can only come once, great. But if you can come on a regular basis, it's really awesome because we, we're developing a support system in that, in that virtual hangout. So I do encourage y'all to participate. All right, that's enough. This week's guest is Natalia. She and I have been kind of in communication for several months now. She's one of my Patreon sponsors. And the last time we were meant to record was before all this stuff went down. It was early in February and I got massively sick. And then I went to Houston and we just couldn't get anything together. We finally have managed to get together. So I'm, I'm happy to be able to share her episode. Um, for me, that is a fun part of hosting this show is finding the commonalities with other mixed people, in particular when they don't have the same heritage that I do. But it's also really fun to find out the differences and learn something. I get to take so much away from every person I speak to. And, and Natalia was also one of those kind of conversations. It was awesome. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with y'all. And without further ado, please help me in welcoming our latest cousin to join the Militantly Mixed family, Natalia. This week is Natalia. We have been talking for several months now. You're also, well, I mean, I guess I can cut this if you don't want this out, putting your business on the street, but you're also one of my Patreon sponsors of the show. Uh, Natalia, why don't you tell everybody about yourself and let's get into it. Hey, everybody. My name is Natalia. I am in my early 40s. I'm 70s baby. (laughs) I should have went like, do, do. That's what I should have done because we're from the 70s. My heritage is Black and Mexican, and um, interestingly enough, I had a conversation with my husband about it today because he likes to tell me I'm Mexican and Black, and I said... Oh, and you have a yeah. different order. That yes. makes sense to me. Yeah. That resonates and with I me. Said, yeah. I said, well, I am Mexican and Black, but I identify as Black and Mexican, mm-hmm. and he's like, but I don't understand because you grew up with your mom, mostly... Mm-hmm. And your mom is Mexican. He's like, you know, you have Mexican mannerisms, heritage. He's like, I see you more Mexican. And I'm like, well, I'm not denying my Mexicanness. Sure. But I don't know. I just, when I think of myself and my ethnic makeup, I just think black first and then Mexican. Same. I, I have the same thing. My I'm very hierarchical in my mixedness. It's black and then Japanese and then the the various white things that are in there yeah and I don't know it's weird to me like I don't even know like when I made that that hierarchy Mm. or why I prefer it that way because you know as he pointed out I did grow up with my mom mostly like my dad was in my life but I mean that was weekends and Mm -hmm. sporadic here and there so do do you think it relate relates at all to your presentation or just experience um that is an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I think growing up, especially like around my family and from the hood that I'm from, like it was majority Mexican, but mm. everybody always knew you're Mexican, but there is something else going on in there. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. Um, Do you have a hybrid name for your, for your ethnicities? Blacksican. <laughs> uh, I do. I do enjoy the hybrid names. Um, yeah. So you did grow up even like neighborhood wise, predominantly Mexican as well. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And um, I had a conversation with my husband about that yesterday about how I'm from the hood, but like my hood is different from his hood. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you're not from the hood. I'm like, yeah, I'm just not from your hood. Mm-hmm. But it was still the hood. I mean, it was, I don't know, I'd say like lower middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh you know, I, we talked about the similarities, you know, things that we experienced growing up, but mm-hmm. some things he was just like, nah, you might lose your hood card on that one. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, Well, I mean, hoods are different. Like, and I, I would say that if you do come from a similar hood, you recognize it in other people. I've had people like I grew up in Long Beach and my neighborhood was predominantly black, which is also 
feeds into why I identify more Black before anything else. I have met people from like the South Side of Chicago or Detroit who will notice, they'll ask me where I'm from because they they can see it, they can pick it up in me and mannerisms or things that I say. So it's like we grew up in a similar type of hood, so we recognize each other. And I assume yeah. that would cross over also for a predominantly Mexican hood. Too. It does. And and interestingly enough, I am from the south side of Chicago. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, but again, like he, my husband's from the East Coast. And like, um, <laughs> I remember when That's he was- That's just different. Yeah. It, it's, it's totally different. And I remember like um, when we first were getting to know each other, he was saying something about a bowl. This bowl did this and this bowl did that. And I'm like, what are you saying? <laughs> and he's like, you know, a bowl, a young John. I'm like, a young John, like, and you're like again, like, <laughs> like a dude, like a a guy, a boy, like <laughs> it's just <laughs> just the you know it's it's just a different hood. <laughs> it is. I so I, when I was growing up, I always fantasized about being New York, from New York and stuff like that. And I thought, you know, I was like, I am not California enough. I am totally New York. I just need to get out there. And then I get out there and I'm like, oh, I'm Californian as hell. Like, I'm like I am very Californian. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, yeah, the things, some of the things they say can cross over because I listen to a lot of, of hip hop, but um, some of it didn't get over here. So I never heard Bowl. I have heard John. I heard I had heard young John and stuff like that, but I hadn't heard Bull before. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm totally butchering the accent and everything, but I was just like, Yeah, I don't I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> so we got different hoods. We need a little transition uh, translator app where we can be like young John and then talk into it and then it speaks out dude. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's mm. funny. So d- your husband, does he, does he, he identify you more as Mexican solely off of like your mother and your upbringing or? Well, I mean, Plus- his thing is he's like, you grew up with your mom and so you were more immersed in that culture. Mm. So, you know, you're more that. And I'm like, but like textbook, I agree. But like in practice, it's different because I don't like I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely feel 50 50, but I don't feel like, oh, I'm more Mexican or I'm more black or. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay. that was one of the <laughs> that was like one of the main questions that I got in grammar school. And you want to talk about bullied. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I went to a predominantly black um, grammar school mm-hmm. and it was like a magnet school. So we had to be bused like out of the neighborhood. And, um, you know, I think it was me and another mixed girl and then everybody else was black. Well, there was one white girl in my class, but mm-hmm. I don't know. She didn't get the bully. Like the mixed girls got the bullying. And so one of their favorite questions would be, well, if you could only be one, which one would you pick? Yeah, I get that question a lot too. Or I did yeah, a lot and, growing up. And I'm just like, I can't pick. So why yeah. even think about it? Like, that's like dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Like if that's, especially if you if you have equal access to everything you're mixed with, that's a little bit t- like, because if you break down the question, what you're asking me is to choose between my parents, kind of, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like, or to choose between cultures, like which one do you like best? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's not a thing. Like, do you like tacos more or fried chicken more? Like, y- y- yeah, <laughs> you know, <right. laughs> it's it's a whole like half of who you are. Has that ever shifted for you? Was there times that you did kind of have a pre- preference, or no? It's always been the case of like, no, mm. I'm half and half, and I'm fine where that identity is. I think high school was definitely like a like a a more difficult time than grammar school mm-hmm. just in terms of like finding my place like do I hang out with the Mexican kids or do I hang out with the black kids because mm-hmm. when you hang out with the Mexican kids they're always talking about the black kids and then when you hang out with the black kids they're right. always talking about the Mexican kids and I'm just right. like so I don't fit in either one. Yeah, actually, that's a good thing to come up because I'm not sure that that has really that much. I also grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, but there was the next group, ethnic group 
what the next largest ethnic group was Mexican and then, you know, sprinkling of white kids here and there. I guess it would be kind of like black, then Mexican, then, you know, Asians and then even fewer white people. And I it was the eight, it was the early 90s. So and it was Long Beach. So I had crunchy, curly hair and I had stacked bangs, which was very close to how the Mexicans look. Plus, my presentation is, you know, yellowish in my skin tone and everything. And mm. they, you know, they would think I was Mexican. And then I would say, no, I'm not Mexican. I'm black and Japanese. And they'd be like, you should be proud that you look more like us than like them. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Like, I'm <laughs> like, I'm happy with who, who I'm mixed with. Um, but right. then on the flip side of that, with the lighter skin girls, they lined up against me as being, you know, you think you look better than us. You think you're cuter than us, you, you know, and stuff like that. Whereas like the dark skin girls just liked me. It was just fine. We, we were just mm. friends. You know, they weren't threatened by me or assuming that I thought I was better than them in any way, shape or form. But whenever I was around the Mexican kids, you know, they didn't know I wasn't Mexican. So they would share. <laughs> yeah. They would share too how much, they felt. Too much yeah. sharing. <laughs> too much sharing. And then you'd be, mm. I'd be like, hey, I'm black. And then then the, that whole thing, you should be proud. I remember this one time in particular, it really hit me hard where someone was like, you should be proud that you look more like us than like them. And I was like, I don't even know. My 14 year old brain doesn't know how to process a statement yeah. like that. Yeah. Because it's like they think they're complimenting you, but they're not. Yeah. And assuming yeah. that the same thing that they value, you value. Mm-hmm. And it's just sad yeah. that you're not what they are. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of your access to, to both sides of your culture, like both sides of your heritage, how did you feel mixed or did you feel just kind of like you knew you had different color parents, but it, it just was a thing? Yeah, I definitely felt mixed. I definitely felt out of place like I didn't belong with like one side or the other Mm. you know this is in general terms not you know so much with my family because I always felt accepted with my family but um interestingly enough you know I'm very like fair-skinned but my brother he's he's much lighter than I am and he has green eyes Mm. and when he was young he had blonde highlights so and you know what's funny is yeah Mm. and what's funny is um when I was thinking about the interview and thinking about because I know you did one before with sisters and how their experience was a little bit different from Mm -hmm. each other Mm -hmm. and what's funny is my brother and I never really had conversations about race or how we felt about being mixed or how we felt about like how we presented because he um I think he passed for white like a lot Mm. and I don't know that he necessarily corrected anybody and, and look um, like family or do you oh I'm spitting image of my dad so you look at your dad but does your brother look like your other side or does do you, like if yeah, you were my, side by side do people identify you as siblings uh no we've gotten mistaken for a couple before I was like that's nasty <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody thought we were married once I was like for real no just wow no wow <laughs> That, yeah, my brother and I don't look like we're, we don't we don't present the same race and we're full brother and sister also. And same, don't talk about it. Like he doesn't want to talk about it. He's not. Mm-hmm. He's happy to be assumed white, even though he's darker skinned than I am. But he has the whiter features. Mm, yeah. Uh, so does that as adults, have you tried to have that conversation? No, I mean, my relationship with my brother is a little complicated. So uh, we tend. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I could reach out, but I don't know. I guess part of it is like, um, I don't know. I think I judge him a little, Mm. you know, and I don't want to be like, well, you know, I'm the pump in the black fist and you're just over here passing. So, right. You know, yeah. No, I can I can see that too. I the few times we have attempted to have these conversations, my brother's frustrations with my militancy, which was very visible very early in my life. You know, he would be like, "I just don't understand why you're so proud of it." Like, like he and I had no way of explaining it. I'm just it's just like mm-hmm. I just feel this way. I'm just excited of my heritage, and I align more with the with the values of of black militancy and things like that. And it, it speaks to me more. Social justice is important before I kind of had the terminology for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for him, he's just like, it shouldn't be important. You know, like it just, for him, it just shouldn't be important. 
and mm-hmm. I don't know how to talk to him because yeah. of that. But also he has drawn that line. Like this is not mm-hmm. a line we get to talk about. So even in terms of like tagging him in a post or anything like that, or a photo side by side, because it's so obvious that I'm mixed girl Maine, mm-hmm. that's like off. That's not okay. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I guess for me, like, I don't know that that makes me like sad that mm-hmm. somebody wouldn't want to like embrace fully who they are or recognize like where they came from. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, it's tough because like everybody's mixed experience is their own thing. But when you feel like there's a level of denial in there, like I have a certain amount of denial. I'm not as comfortable accepting the whiteness in my case. And I, I do sometimes have the answer to that question. What would you choose? Sometimes like in a, in a really shocking moment recently in the last like four or five months, someone asked me a question that made me go, oh yeah, I would, I think I would, the way they, it was the way they asked. It was, uh, and I was really stunned to hear my answer, honestly. The way they asked is if like, if it were the matrix and you had the red pill or the blue pill and one pill was made you black and the other pill kept you mixed. I answered way too quickly that I would take the black Mm. pill. And I was like, oh shit, I just learned something about myself today. You know, like it wasn't even, yeah. it didn't even register to take a beat or to be like, no, I'm not going to answer that question. In that particular moment where my head was, I just really needed to be black. And this was like just a few months ago. So I've been dealing with that. But the white <laughs> side is like never comes into, it's never a part of my process. Like I'm, I, I never, I really focus more on being black and Japanese. Mm-hmm. And then to a degree also, the British culture versus necessarily the white side, you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't really know how to deal with that. So I definitely have a level of uh, area of denial, I guess, but not so much denial that I don't list it. I just don't investigate it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel like you've got a chance to be both or did in school because of the way people were treating you, you kind of had to perform one or the other for your own survival and comfort? Mm, I don't, I think, you know, the first year was like, I was half with the Mexicans, half with the blacks. And then mm. like sophomore year, I was like, well, I just fit in with the nerds. Okay. You got to find your tribe wherever you yeah. find it. <laughs> so, so, and then people will call me weirdo. So mm. I was like, that's cool. Like you can't, I mean, you're not going to put me in a box. Right. So, yeah. But um, I don't know. I mean, I definitely think that I got to experience both cultures uh, growing up. You know, my my dad, he is, I think he's a little bit lighter than I am. Mm. So when <laughs> when my ex-husband, when his mother first met my dad, she said rather loudly, I thought you said he was black. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I didn't know that being dark-skinned only is what qualified you as being black right so and it was a thing like he looks puerto rican he looks this and i'm like but he's black so that's pretty wild do you how do you code like how do people respond to you do you feel like you're perceived as a black woman or do you feel like you're perceived as a mexican woman or i guess we were kind of talking before where you're yeah. perceived as something completely unrelated to what you're mixed yeah. with. So, right. right. So prior to converting to Islam, I converted when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, um, I think I coded mixed. Okay. You know, I don't, I don't think that people could look at me and say, oh, she's Mexican and black or she's Mexican or she's black. Mm-hmm. Like you could tell, like, there's some black in there, but what else is there? Okay. You know? But once I started covering and wearing the hijab, it, I mean, all bets are off now. Like people speak to me in different languages and right. I'm just like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I have had people try and convince me that I'm from um, Jordan or Egypt or mm. even like uh, Somalia. I was like, really? Because I don't look Somali at all. It's so (laughs) funny when people bring up like cultures that don't actually even look like each other, but they're Mm -hmm. all the ones that are being named for you. Like when Mm -hmm. someone says I look Dominican, I'm like, that makes sense. I have black phenotypes and yellow skin. Like, yeah, I can see that. 
but sometimes I'll get like I look Iranian and I'm like but I don't besides dark hair and yellow skin like where is it but if someone looks at my husband who's half Palestinian and half German he's gets he's had people say that he had Kuwaiti eyes or mm. you know or like he has more of a uh, Lebanese nose or, or something like that or whatever and then and then and he's he's Palestinian and probably being mixed is the reason why he's not registering exactly as Palestinian yeah. versus mm-hmm. any other other thing. But people get really passionate about what you actually are, like what they've decided you are versus what yeah. you actually are. Yeah. And then and then it'll be a thing. Where are you from? Chicago. But where, where are your parents really from? from? Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> so where are your grandparents from? Uh, Mexico. <laughs> and then they get real confused. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, so uh, I'm like, do you, do you want to go far back? Like, like the ship that my great, great, great grandmother right. brought over on, like in the slave trade, like you want to go there? Like, yeah. So yeah, people get, people get pretty strong about it. I, one time I was in New York and I was buying t-shirts for, it was like my last day of my trip and I was buying t-shirts and the guy who was running the kiosk was, was Arabic and he started speaking Spanish to me and I was like, oh, I don't speak Spanish. And he said, what kind of Puerto Rican parents <laughs> raise their child not to speak Spanish? And he's, he, like I said, he's Arabic the whole time. He's mm-hmm. obviously Arabic too. And I was like a black and Japanese one. And then he started speaking Japanese like hella fast. And I was like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. I'm like, slow it down. And, he, and I was like, I can speak a little, but like slow it down. And then um, we finished our exchange and stuff like that. And he, I, I told him, I'm like, Japanese assimilate. They don't really teach their kids. So that's why my Japanese is really slow. So we had this whole conversation and it was awesome. Mm. It was like all different things, culture, whatever. And then as we're leaving, I say shukran as I'm, which is thank you as I'm leaving. And he goes, oh, Arabic you speak. And I was, but that was because my best friend was Arabic, my husband's Arabic, and so like mm. I basically I basically can cuss in Arabic and I can say thank you, yeah. and that's pretty much all I can do. And that was just one of those exchanges. Like he had decided I was everything but what I was, and then when I was when I was out of the closet about what I was, I wasn't enough of that because I didn't have language. And then yeah. on top of that, I co-opted his <laughs> his natural <laughs> language. <laughs> well, it's funny because language, you know, was, um, it wasn't, my mom is fluent and, you know, her first language was Spanish. Mm. And so you would think that she would teach it to her kids, but she didn't. Mm. And I asked her about it when I got older and she's like, well, you know, your dad doesn't speak Spanish. So, you know, I didn't teach it to you kids. And I was like, yeah, but he left when I was four. There right. was still plenty of time. You could have still got so, it in there. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if it was a thing of she just was like she worked a lot. She worked two jobs, you know. So I don't know if she just didn't like put the importance of it, you know, to teach her kids. I mean, I picked up, you know, a lot from my grandmother. Did and you have like broken I, Spanish and English kind of conversations? Oh, yes. For sure. And my and my my wella, my grandmother, she, um, she understood English a lot. She liked to pretend that she didn't, but like, she, but she would never speak it. Mm. If you spoke to her in English, she would answer you in Spanish. Oh, okay. So yeah, but um, I took classes in high school, and you know, I had my grandmother. You know, we used to go to Mexico every summer. So you know, when you're immersed in it, it becomes you know more familiar. Easier, but yeah. But I was always like, mom, you really, I could have been fluent, but like now I'm, I'm too self-conscious about it. Yeah. Same with me. I'm far more comfortable speaking Japanese in front of Americans (laughs) because then they're like, Ooh, and I'm like, yeah. Right. (laughs) Don't don't let the Japanese Japanese hear Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm I'm so apologetic the whole time too. Like (laughs) I am sorry that I am butchering my native, my family language, but. And then when I had kids, um, I was like. I can't teach them ghetto Spanish. Like that's, that's not going to help them at all. Like Mm. I'm not going to like, I I don't know how to conjugate verbs. I, you know, I don't know how to translate like a simple word. I'll be like, you know, uh, uh, door. (laughs) (laughs) But what about like, um, just picking up the vowel sounds and, and things like that? Cause that's actually one thing that I, I feel lucky about that even though I don't speak Japanese, because I spoke broken Japanese in the house, I can do all of the vowel and consonant sounds that don't we don't actually have in English. 
So mm-hmm. like if I try to get my husband to say, we have a sound that's like, do, it's like a, it's like a D and a T and an O all together. Do, and he can't make mm-hmm. that sound. He keeps saying do um, mm. and stuff like that. Does, so he, I, does he only speak one language or does he speak Arabic? He only speaks English because he didn't know he was mm-hmm. Arabic till we were in our 20s. And then okay. we actually didn't meet his biological father till we were near, nearly 30. And so like he, he's picked up more Japanese because he's been around me dropping it and being mm-hmm. around my grandma and stuff like that on occasion. Yeah. Um, no, um, the girls, yeah, they have definite exposure because my mom will speak to me in Spanish and, you know, so we can talk about things in front of them mm. without them knowing what we're talking about. But my That's oldest, the other reason why they need to teach us our language so that we can talk in front of people. <laughs> yes. Uh, so my oldest has picked up some things and she'd be like, I know when you say this, you're talking about me, mom. So funny. <laughs> Yeah. That's funny. So so my mom and I like we gotta come up with a new code name for her. Right. <laughs> yeah. But um but yeah, they I mean they definitely can, you know, they can roll their R's and stuff like that. And then um they are um learning some Arabic like in Sunday school and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it makes them able to pick up other, you know, vowel sounds and stuff like that, because Arabic has some yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of different sound that we don't produce in English. My best friend's mom used to grab my face and my neck and my chin, and she'd be mm-hmm. like doing all these things to try to get mm-hmm. me to to come close to pronouncing things. Yeah, um, there's one letter. It's all in the throat, and I'm just like, you sound like you're choking. <laughs> yeah, it's funny trying to figure out. Like for me, I'm kind of a visual and a touch and a and a do learner Mm -hmm. so like I have to see someone do it and then I have to like try to physically do it myself or or whatever but with language Mm -hmm. when you're talking about moving the like where in the mouth or where in the throat or where in the nasal area yeah a a sound comes from I I struggled with that which is so weird because I had different accents and different language growing up like I I was raised in the early days by my Japanese grandma my British grandmother my parents were so young that they were kind of in and out at first. And, and so like I spoke broken English, Japanese with a British accent. They put me in ESL classes because nobody mm. could understand me, even though I was speaking English. They just didn't know I was speaking English. And um, <laughs> so I was like, you would think I would have this ability because I've, I've had exposure. But come high school, when it was time to like learn French, I couldn't get the nasal stuff. And mm. with my best friend's family, I couldn't get the, the throat the throat-based words either because mm-hmm. I just couldn't figure out how to move sound there because right. I'm used to talking yeah. in front of my mouth, you know, like that's mm-hmm. kind of where I understand the mechanics of it. I just don't know how to physically do it. Yeah. Yeah. Myself. So how, as, as an adult, because you're the way you identify yourself as black and Mexican, but you did grow up predominantly Mexican. Do you know if you identified the reverse ever and then it's flipped over time? Or do you feel like you've always kind of been this way, identifying Mm. as Black Mexican versus Mexican Black? Yeah, you know, I don't know that I paid too much attention to how I identified when I was growing up. Like, I knew I was different. I knew I was mixed. But I didn't have the language for it, Um, especially because, like, it wasn't until I was older that I found out that, like, my mother's parents like were low-key upset that she married a black guy Mm -hmm. um and so I don't know like it was the 70s so it was all free love and everything but but I don't know that there were many conversations in my house about race Mm -hmm. so I don't know that I you know looked at myself one way other than I'm different than almost everybody else. Um, you, what about your brother? Did yeah. you, was it more because the way you two presented that it was easier for your Mexican side of the family to be more embracing, do you think? or? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was definitely like, um, you know, I guess like jokes and stuff, you know, mm. you know, stuff that's supposed to be funny, but it's, re- it's really hurtful. <laughs> um, and when I was younger, I was always like, outside and in the sun so I you know I used to get really really tan so 
<laughs> this is so not right. But so um, family members used to call me JB, JB, Jet Black Jungle Bunny. Okay. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was trying mm-hmm. to I was trying to figure out what that yeah. would be. That's rough. You're just a kid. Right? Mhm. And also like when I was little like I had longer hair and then like my mom says that I got gum stuck in my hair. I still don't remember that, but like she cut all my hair off. So it was it was a thing like where I felt like a boy and then like I, I don't know, it was just it, it was not a it was not a, you know, an easy thing to go through. And yeah. I think my brother, I think my brother definitely had it easier because he was white presenting with green eyes. Like right. nobody at school, like ever questioned him about anything, mm. you know? And I even, I even found out, shoot, like, I think I was like, like almost 40 when I realized that this grammar school that my mom had enrolled us in, Mm-hmm. my brother got in because they thought he was white. And so wow. they were filling their minority demographic because it was a mostly black school. Yeah. And so then when it was my turn, she was just like, oh, she has the same father. So mm. I was like, mom, you, you let them think I was white. And she was like, well, yeah. And I was just wow. like, I'm kind of hurt by that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, just things that you don't even like pay attention to as a kid and yeah. like realizing as an adult, I'm like, mom, you let yeah. him think I was white. <laughs> yeah, that would rock me too. I'd have a, I'd really struggle with that. Yeah. That, that's well, you wild. know, I recently, um, a few years ago, I did that, the ancestry thing, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I was like, let's, you know, let's see, you know, what I'm really made of, you know, because obviously my dad is very fair skinned. So I'm like, there's got to be white in there somewhere. Sure. But yeah, ooh, I didn't know it was that much. <laughs> I mean, listen, like that was actually something I was really nervous about when and doing mine was thinking like, what percentage of of black would crush me? Like finding out that I was less black than I thought I was. Yeah. And look, I kept seeing like what it, it was like Ireland and Scotland and England. And I was like, where's the African countries? Man? <laughs> like, oh. I know it's in there. <laughs> so, yeah. So when I look at it, I'm like, I just don't really pay attention to all that. In terms of your father, did he have, I'm assuming he had light skinned parents also, but did he have two black identified parents? Oh, you know what? My dad, he's a whole, <laughs> check this out. My dad, when I was in, in high school, I was doing like a family tree. It was like a class project. And so I was mm-hmm. like, dad, you know, your sister, your other sisters, blah, blah, blah. And he just gave me this look like we don't discuss that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? I'm just doing a family tree. And so I tried to wrap my brain around because my big mama, his mom, mm-hmm. was born in 1896. Mm-hmm. And he was born in 1947. And I was like, uh, that doesn't, that, that doesn't add up. <laughs> like that math is. <laughs> it's kind of off, dad. Yeah. But he wouldn't talk to me about it. And so several years later, um, he was like, you know, battling cancer and like writing up his will and trying to do all this, like get all his social security benefits. Mm-hmm. My dad doesn't have a birth certificate. So I don't know if he was like somebody in the family's baby or if, because, you know, yeah. And, you know, back in the day, like people would just drop babies on doorsteps. Yeah. Like you might think this, that your mother is your mother, but it's actually your, your aunt or, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We got that in our family too. So we, um, we did a search like adoption records and all kinds of stuff. And we just, we don't know who his parents are. Mm. Like we know who raised him, but even like when he was trying to like talk to his aunt about information, she was like, well, you know, your mom was never pregnant. So (laughs) yeah. And it's weird though, because he had foster brothers and sisters, but he and his sister are the only ones that had her last name. Oh, interesting. So 
I think it has to be like somebody in the family or something like that, right. you know, who had him or just couldn't take care of him or, you know, for whatever reason. But right. it was kind of like, um, it was hard for me, like to, for my family tree to stop at my dad. Yeah. You know, but it's also a very black story too. That yeah. some of us could have that going on. So you just, you just don't know. No, don't I mean, we, we did all the searches that we could find. Like we went, I went to the library and, you know, looked up um, records on ancestry, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I know that my big mama was from like uh Mississippi area, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, she was born in 1896. Like, that's if there's biological family too. Like that's, yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah. And there's, you know, 1896, there's no record of her birth. So there's no real records of all who her siblings or who her parents or like who could possibly be my dad's actual parents. Did he look like a black man, but just was very, very fair? Um, yes. Especially like pictures from like when I was a baby. I mean, he had the, the humongous pork chop sideburns. He had the humongous Afro, like, you know, he was filling it. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, all of his mannerisms and everything like that. But again, is that from his DNA or is that a product of how he was raised? Right. You know? Yeah. And that, that is actually pretty fascinating too. When you, when you think about, about that, like I, I can get really sensitive, I guess, about, about people appropriating things that, that aren't natural to them. And yet I know that because of the way I present, if someone doesn't know me and doesn't know my background, they might think that I'm being, you know, like that Mm -hmm. I'm appropriating, but it's, but it is my, it's from my natural where I grew up and the culture and the people that I grew up around. Besides the fact that I do actually have a black father and I, I, I wonder sometimes like how, how does that, in terms of how we identify and what we're allowed to claim with quotation Mm -hmm. fingers allowed to claim being mixed is so much a part of both ethnicity and culture. So if we, yeah, we can claim mixed because of our ethnicity, but some of us are like, for me, I grew up predominantly black most of my life. So it's, it is kind of hard sometimes for me, uh, or there had been times when it was kind of hard for me to embrace the full picture of everything I am. I just was this very, 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 very light black girl, you know? And now it's a little bit easier for me to be a mixed person who happens to also be you know, who happens to be mixed with black, I guess. And when we end up coming from these families, which a lot of us on the black sides do, my great grandmother has a tale that, you know, is a question of whether or not she and her siblings are siblings or Mm -hmm. are they sibling, was one of her siblings also her daughter? You know, like there's stuff like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens that happened in that family. Um, And they're very, very light presenting too, but they don't come up very white. They don't have a very high white percentage. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know how that's possible because I saw them. Like I, I you know, <laughs> I, I grew up around them. Like my, yeah. big mother, my big mother was very, very light. But when I look at the way my DNA break down, I don't have, I, like technically I'm a quarter black and I didn't reduce that much. It was just like, I'm still like 23%. So it, somehow she's white as white presenting or not white presenting, but very light skin presenting as she was. And somehow I only have 2% of white on that side. Mm-hmm. I, that's a shock. Like, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. You just never know. And then whether or not, but she was a black, she was a black grandma. She was a black mother, you know, like she, mm-hmm. everything about her was black, even though she was very, 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 very light. Yeah. So is that culture or is that DNA? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's that whole thing of, is it nature or is it nurture? Like, because even like the weird thing about that is, well, maybe it does happen and I just don't know. Cause like, I guess I identify it more when somebody who is very light, pre- pre- uh, perform, I don't even want to assume performance, you know, behavior is black, you mm-hmm. know, coding is black but they, but they present very light. I, you don't often see the reverse of it though, or where you identify as just like someone who's very, very black presenting, 
but you know they got white in their pet their family somewhere and they kind of mm-hmm. code white you don't really call that out that often or at least I don't I don't think I've seen it that often where I'm just like you must have white in you you know like when <laughs> yeah, how many times yeah. have I heard you must have black in you yeah yeah you don't hear the that was kind of white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not really. Yeah, I mean, I did get the whole, uh, if you're black, how come you speak proper? Uh-huh. I, I really hope this dies soon because this is so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, and and it just reminds me of uh, the movie Airplane where they had the, the woman who was translating Jive. Right. And I was just like, you know... Uh, and then when they started calling it Ebonics, I was like, oh, just See, kill me right now. You and I are from the same generation, <laughs> so we would have been like barely teenagers, right? Like between yeah. 13 to 15 years old when they when they did this, when they started yeah. calling it Ebonics. And I remember being like fresh out of junior high and into high school, just thinking like, oh, please, no, no, please. You know, I was already mm-hmm. struggling with the transition from being black to African-American. Like I still, to this day, do not find it comfortable to claim African-American because I didn't know where in Africa we were from until recently. Yeah. Um, but the there's, there's a thing, huge disconnect with that. Yeah. It's like, I didn't have yeah. a bridge. So how do I claim this thing? Plus at the time I knew a couple of white Africans, like I knew some mm-hmm. South Africans that were entirely white and they called themselves African-Americans because they were American citizens. And it was just like, I couldn't deal with African-Americans. And then on top of that, to like already be kind of dealing with this crisis of what I'm allowed to call myself. And Mm -hmm. then someone throws Ebonics at me. I'm like, it's not even like Black American or Black English. It's just Ebonics. Mm -hmm. And so, ugh, 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 I hate it. But that idea of like speaking proper, meaning speaking white, Mm -hmm. uh, is really, really starting to get to me now yeah I, I can't stand it yeah no it's it's definitely a thing for me and um you know I don't know I just think I'm I'm very appreciative that we have the opportunity to have all of these conversations about race and mixedness because like I said when I was growing up I didn't have the language for it and yeah. you know and when I had my girls I have three girls and <laughs> my my oldest she's very brown she's very brown skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just as they kept coming out, they just kept getting lighter and lighter. So I'm just like, <laughs> you're un- running out of ink. Yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't have another one. Cause I'll be an albino. <laughs> but you know, um, I, I paid very special attention to not saying, you know, cause they also have three different hair types. Mm. Um, but I didn't want to, I didn't want there to be a thing of, oh, you have good hair. Right. You know, it's all of your hair is beautiful. We just take care of it in different ways. Yeah. And you had to learn how to care for, I guess, probably four different textures if you count your own too. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) And and I was like, wait, wait, we can't all use the same product. Like, do you know how much product costs? Like, come on. Yeah. That's funny. And it's it's funny because my my fairest daughter, she has the most black hair. Mm. And I'm just like, I, I I and after I had my first daughter, I was like, oh, I had a girl. I had a second girl. I was like, oh, I know what to do because I already have a daughter. Nope. All three mm. of them are different in like every way imaginable. So <laughs> how do they think about mixedness? Do you know? Yeah, we, you know what? Um, we started watching Mixed Dish together okay. so we could, you know, open the dialogue about it, you know, because I'm a very open parent. I believe in being honest with my kids, age-appropriate honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want it to be a taboo subject. I didn't want them to feel like they couldn't say, well, how come, you know, this or how come that, you know? Mm-hmm. So we watched it together. We have conversations about it. I think it's funny because my youngest, who just turned eight, she was like, wait, mom, I'm black? And I'm like, oh, I'm failing as a parent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but definitely, like, we have all of these stories that are shared now that we can um, talk about it without, you know, all of the, like, I don't know, I guess stigma. Mm-hmm. You know, because if if you're growing up in a society where, 
like for, for instance, my grammar school class, there was like 35 kids and only two of us are mixed. Mm -hmm. So you definitely feel ostracized. But nowadays, like out of 35, maybe like 25 of them are mixed. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, depending on what, you know, what area you're in, but like, Mm -hmm. it's definitely not the same as when I was growing up. Right. And the fact that we have language about it and, um, and I can share my experiences with my kids, you know, so that it's easier for them to na- navigate things, mm-hmm. you know. But my daughter, my oldest daughter, she definitely had a, a I guess, her first quote unquote racist incident mm-hmm. when she was, um, I think she was like eight at Sunday school. That's the time and, for me too, man. I wonder yes. what it is about that second to third grade. Yeah. So time she period. was... Um, you know, she went to, you know, it's a Muslim Sunday school and like the majority is like um, uh, from Jordan, like Palestine. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the kids asked her like if she converted <laughs> and she's like, oh, just I, off of the look of her. Yeah. And she's like, I'm eight. I was born Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> and like they couldn't reconcile the fact that she was black and born a Muslim. Right. So Which is weird she, because there, there's black Muslims. Like, yeah. But even you know if you what? come from Jordan and come here, it's, it's still known. Yeah. But, you know, it's a, it's a whole thing. And, you know, like before that, I, you know, I, I guess I had sort of like idealized like the whole, oh, we're Muslim. We're not supposed to be racist. But like mm. in, a per, in a perfect world, that would be true. Right. Sure. But we're human. And so each, I guess, ethnic group has their own hangups. Yeah. You know, so I hadn't fully prepared her for that. And she was like, mom, this person asked me if I converted. But also, like, how do you prepare them for that? You know? True. And I just asked her, I said, well, what, what did you think about that? She was like, it was really stupid. I was like, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, they also, you know, they were homeschooled for most of their life. And we recently moved to um, Arizona. And mm-hmm. so... My youngest uh, was in school and she said she got a lot of questions about what are you? And um, she said, um, she said, mom, somebody asked me what I was. And I said, oh, oh, they said, are you black or are you white? And she because said, there's only two. <laughs> right, right. And I said, well, what did you say? And she, she, she looked at me and she said, I told him I was Mexican. <laughs> yeah. So not, not either one of those choices. Yeah. Which um, even if she does, even if she does identify that way, I think what's awesome about that is the confusion that it causes the person who asks thinking like, wait, there's more than one choice. Yes. You know, and I loved her, her follow-up comment. She was like, what does it matter anyway? Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. I mean, at least they're, it's so weird. Like, I mean, I don't have kids, but seeing them kind of become their own little people, their own little warriors for whatever it is that impacts them, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of fun to, to watch them grow into it. Nieces and nephews and things that I have to see, see like whatever is the thing that they kind of bite down on around that age is, is kind of cute. So it's, it's nice to know that she's already protecting herself, I guess, from, Mm -hmm from the ignorance that that's yeah she on. did get uh, also she got a lot of requests to touch her hair Ugh. and I was like so what did you say and she made a face and she was like I told him not to touch my hair <laughs> why do people want to touch other people's hair yeah I know. it's so baffling I have my mom's a hairstylist and I don't have that curiosity you know like nothing yeah. makes me want to touch a person's hair that is not like a reason a purpose you know like mm-hmm. I, my niece wanted me to braid her hair or something like that. You know, like just, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense to me that people want to do that. Uh, yeah. We are coming to the end here though. So I do want to thank you for, for joining me on the show, especially since it's been a couple months, the world fell apart in the times that we were trying to uh, first trying to get together. But before yeah. we wrap up, why don't you tell me what you love most about being mixed? Yeah. So I've been thinking about this question all day cause I knew it was coming <laughs> and um I would just really have to say that I just feel blessed to have two cultures. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I feel like, um, I don't know, like I get the best of both and it, it makes for a very enriching life. Do you feel like you get to kind of 
and this is just because we don't have the words for it, I'm going to say the word practice. Do you get feel like you get to, to practice everything together or do you have like your Mexican moments and your black moments? I definitely think it's, it's intertwined, you know? Um, and, you know, I think at home it's a very mixed environment, but then mm-hmm. like when I'm with my mom's family, you know, it's definitely, we're the loud Latinos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know. I just, um, you know, I just love having both. Yeah. Yeah. And give, being able to give that to your children as well. Yeah, absolutely. That come up. That's exciting. Before we wrap up, is there, do you want to tell people how to find you or? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. Things? It's mostly uh, my knitting because uh, I'm slightly obsessed with that. <laughs> but my Instagram is not these knits. It's N-A-T-I-S, knits, K-N-I-T-S. And um, you can see all the socks that I make. <laughs> you see, you do socks. That, I want to do socks, but my hands, I got tendonitis. So like knitting on smaller needles is harder. I'm a little jealous of sock knitters. I'm more of a beanie girl because I can use a fat, a fatter uh, needle size. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm all about yeah. them eights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, socks are in ones. Yep. Oh, gosh. My, I just, just thinking about it right now, my hands are just like, ah! Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for being with me through this. You know, I, I think the first time we kind of communicated was maybe like last fall, somewhere around there. Yeah, and yeah. It, it just means a lot to, to have a have people to go to. Like, it's fun to know that not only do I get to follow you on Instagram as a fellow knitter but you also are mixed and we all we could have that to have conversation you know like I, I yeah. love that we get to to kind of be out of all about all of our things um so thank you so much for being with the show coming on the show supporting the show like it really means a lot I I appreciate you so much thank you well I appreciate you having the show and um I do listen to it with my oldest daughter and um you know it just it opens the door for a lot of conversations oh awesome yeah Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.